Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. I can't tell you how many times I promoted an event where no one showed up. What that taught me was to never give up and to keep going and keep going. People perfected their craft and kept doing something for 20, 30 years to become a pro and be globally recognized. And people get discouraged after two, three months. For people that say, you know, I don't believe in God, we all get to a point where a loved one is in the hospital or you're in the hospital or someone's fighting for their life. And we all kind of pray out to someone. And that is the start of, I think, belief. And you should always believe in something because I think it's the belief that allows you to keep going. Keep going, keep going. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show, you are in for a treat. I have the king of luxury on the show, Chris King. He has a new book out now called King's Way, and it's a good one for anyone looking to reinvent themselves, to pivot, or just believe that they can do it. We covered the gamut in Chris's life from his challenging beginnings through his ups and downs along the way to the things that are really providing fulfillment in his life now. Look, Chris is a friend. He has a heart of gold, and I think people will learn a ton from him about never giving up. So please enjoy this conversation with the one and only Chris King. Chris, welcome to the show. What's up, buddy? You know what, man? I am super excited to have you on the show today because if there was ever a person that exemplifies this brand of work hard, play hard, I, I like I could not pick anybody else other than you. So thank you for being on the show. <laughs> Appreciate that. You know, a lot of people who are listening to this interview are, you know, I'm sure they follow you on Instagram because your your Instagram is one of the most beautiful Instagrams I've ever seen. I mean, it's just, you know, good looking guy, great suit, traveling the world, luxury brands. And most people will, you know, look at your life and say, you know, he probably came out of the womb like this. He probably had... <laughs> A Cornelioni, if I'm saying it right, neck. Cuccinelli. <laughs> Cuccinelli, but they would be wrong, you know? So I'd like right. to talk a little bit about the early years that you've talked about in your book um, and maybe just sort of look at it 
you know, not from a salacious or gossipy standpoint, but more from mm. a teaching standpoint of, you know, how those early years have informed who you are today. And I think maybe a good starting place would be for you to sort of like, you know, unwrap or explain a bit of what led you to getting transferred from an alternative school when you were younger and maybe how that impacted you. Right. You know, I think that's the whole reason why it was even important to put the book out for me was because you it's easy to have this perception. I think we do this, especially with social media at an all-time high in the world. And people have this perception and judge a book by its cover and automatically assume the way someone dresses or someone acts that they are like whatever they presume. And for me, it wasn't always that way. And, you know, I would like to believe I became this gentleman and, and became a connoisseur of culture and art and, you know, life to me through self-taught and that's something that I also kind of sh- try to try to share through the book is I, I wasn't born this way. I, you know, as you mentioned, I didn't, I didn't, you know, my mother didn't give birth to me in a Cuccinelli or a Laura Piana yeah. cashmere. Right. And it's, you know, it's not even the importance of, of brand name necessarily, but I think for me, it's the importance of becoming a, a man and becoming a gentleman and, in, and changing for the better. You know, so many people say, don't change or you should never change. And you should really never change, you know, well, I guess you really would change your character at some point too. I think for me, it's, um, it's the growth into becoming a man, the growth into becoming a gentleman and my humble beginnings and the story that I share in the book or the several stories was to shine a light on the truth. I think transparency and authenticity is the new luxury and shining a light on, Hey, this guy came from similar situations that we did. Hey, this guy didn't always dress and look like this. Why did he do that? And I think that's the big story that I share in the book on my journey from where I came from to, to where I am today. You know, you talked a little bit in the book about, you know, suppressed passion. You know, when you were young, you had a situation where, you know, you've got, uh, like, like every little guy at that, uh, at that time in their life, you got the Ninja Turtles up on the wall <laughs> on the, on the, uh, on your, uh, your, your boxing bag or whatever it was. And, uh, you decide, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to draw a Ninja Turtle. You go downstairs, you show your dad, dad rips it up. And, um, clearly there's a trauma there and you can easily suppress that. But when I look you know, at your Instagram, you know, you look like Salvador Dali now in, <laughs> in Beverly Hills, you know, with a, with a, uh, with a beret, you know, and a cigar out of your mouth painting flamingos. Like, mm. how did you go from that to that? That's a great question. I think for me, you know, I remember as a young boy drawing a lot. And I share that story in the book that you're talking about of drawing the Ninja Turtle and kind of coming down and showing dad. And he was upset, thought I lied, ripped it up. And, but I would draw, it was kind of an escape for me. And I would sketch and I, and I was really good. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who would say, oh, I'm a great drawer. Like I was really, really talented. And I just would draw and draw and draw and draw these cartoon characters as kind of a way to pass the time. And I remember just, you know, having that impact happen to me and, 
I also was trying to recall with my mother on a, on a call a few weeks ago, like whatever happened to all my drawings, they kind of just disappeared out of the house. And I don't know if I kind of blocked the memory and I just threw them all away or, you know, they disappeared, whatever the case may be. But I never really kind of picked up and drew ever again. I never sketched again. And I kind of just put that away. Mm-hmm. And it's funny how life works because you fast forward to what I do now and I'm sketching and drawing and creating all the time. And um, as I went through life, like everybody kind of chasing opportunities and, and looking for ways to just come from where you came from. And I want to take care of my family. I want to take care of my mother. I want to, and you know, I excelled in, in a lot of businesses. I had a lot of failures, a lot of mess ups, a lot of mistakes. But one of the things I really look back, that was probably a key to some of my successes was I was always very creative and had a very visionary, creative mind and paid attention to the extreme details. And I think a lot of that was self-taught in those earlier drawing times by paying attention to the intricate shading and details that has evolved where now I'm using all those creative abilities, which is allowing me to thrive in my current businesses. Um, Where do you you think that came from? Where do you think that level, you have... um you know, you have an eye that is unmatched. You remind me a little bit of like, you know, Steve Jobs in a way, when I read his biography, you know, he went apeshit when somebody, you know, used the wrong kind of stainless steel inside the iPhone and, <laughs> and they were arguing. They were like, what the hell? It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to see it and it's cheaper. We're going to do millions. He's like, it matters. How do you not get that this matters? Right. And that reminds me of like, you know, like the buttons that you have on your bags that are now infamous. You know, they, they, I think they come from, I don't know, maybe the Pope's designer or something. <laughs> There's yeah. some legends like that. Yeah. Like where, where did that come from? I, you know, the, the probably easy answer would say it's my gift from God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll share a story. I don't know if it's in the book. It might be in the book. I, I mean, I've rewritten this thing so many times. I don't, I don't know what, um, yeah, right. and, Um, it's one of those things where my life growing up, I thought that my kind of gift that I look at now was almost a curse. Like, why am I paying attention to all these intricate details? Why am I over obsessing about like that Steve Jobs story? Like it matters to me. Like, no, we need to redo it. Like I'm the guy to throw it all away and redo it and waste the money because that's how important that detail matters. And that's what you stand for. And so what I learned when I started creating this business and, 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 you know, really excelling at what I believe to be my calling and my path and my true passion, those kind of curses became my gifts. And that, you know, attend, you know, I think some of my staff would say, you know, he, he's like a nanometer perfectionist, you know, he, he mm-hmm. cares about the detail that you'll probably never see. Uh, you know, and, and I, and because, you know, I think those things matter at the end of the day in a world where we're kind of just, you know, slapping band-aids on brands and calling them what they are. And we're not really knowing where they come from or how they're made, which goes back to earlier me saying that authenticity is the new luxury. We're seeing that with all these brands diving into behind the scenes, how it's made. And even that is like orchestrated, you know, TV, television, new, like we're, we're, you know, that's probably really not some of the factories that those are made in and, or it might've been made for the video, but that's not how they do every single one. And so for me, it's always been an important part of everything I've done. And I share 
a lot of times with people how that stems from passion within to always represent and be the best version, no matter whatever you do in life, whatever business. And I think I've done that no matter the business that I've been in. I always want to give the best version, make it the best, no matter what it's ever been. You know, you've, you've had a, it's interesting to me, you know, because when I, when I met you, I only saw the ends, right? I didn't know the story behind the story. And it's very interesting to me to see sort of two worlds in your life. One is, you know, sort of this entrepreneurial world. And the other one is the level of detail world that we're talking about. And you, you certainly are no stranger to hard work. You've been a landscaper, you've worked in a warehouse, you've been a club promoter, you owned a club. Um, and we can go on and on. And I guess sort of like in a rapid fire way, I'm just going to ask you with, let's pick three of those, because I think each thing that we do informs who we are. What would you say being a landscaper or running a landscaping business in the early, early years taught you? I don't know if it would be specifically landscaping. I guess you could say by, you know, no one's ever asked that question. I would say like, I want the, the hedges and the bushes to be really even and straight. And I would go over it 15 times, even though the idea was to get the job done and go on to the next one. I would take my time to make sure that they were perfect and would triple quadruple inspect to make sure they were perfect. What's so interesting, probably, right? You know, you know, I think that's well, probably you, the, you know. I was going to say, what's interesting about that to me is, you know, most people hire a landscaper because the grass is too long or the bushes are too high, but you're Edward Scissorhands, you know, and you're, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're create, you're creating, you know, garanimals out there. How about the warehouse? What about the warehouse? Oh, did that teach you? Oh, that was like, you know, when people read stories, I think they're like, oh, it wasn't that bad or, you know, oh, he's over-exaggerating. I actually like, if there's even a word of under-exaggerated, like it was crazy in there. You had all these guys from all different walks of life coming in and you would get like a stack, almost like a phone book of stickers. And you had to jump on this pa- this huge pallet that you would ride on these big motorized pallet jacks with two giant, you know, pallets on the back. And you had to jump off these things most of the time while they were moving because you had to be that fast, stick the stickers on the groceries and then put them on the pallet and stack the pallets, wrap them with shrink wrap, wrap them as you were going along. And, you know, I would personally fill one tractor trailer truck. So you can imagine that. And it's winter months. There's no heat in there. You're freezing cold. Your fingers are cracking and you're literally like paid. I don't even know what we think. It was like four cents, three cents per sticker, you know? So imagine, you know, and you're there with all these guys fighting for groceries or, you know, your pallet checks in my way led to a scuffle, a fight. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I think it taught me, I think it taught me the appreciation of hard work. I think it taught me um, looking back now, the mindset and the ability to never stop trying, never quit, never not give it a hundred percent. How long ago was that job? Like how many years? Oh God. On um, 95, maybe 
96. I, I can't really remember. Okay, so it's yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. If, if I could whisper in your ear back at that time and say, oh, by the way, this guy's going to be interviewing you and you're going to be sitting in your house in Beverly Hills and he's going to be talking to you about drawing flamingos and your brand and your new book, how would you have reacted to that if you heard that back at that time? Truthfully, I would probably say this sounds like something I might do. Great. So you had you had the foresight and the vision oh, early on to know always, where you're going. Always. I didn't know how and I didn't know what direction back then, but I always knew. I always had it in me. There was no question. Mm, there's a big lesson in that. How about uh, the last one being the club promoter? What'd you learn there? You know, there were a lot of lessons depending on the night, you know, depending yeah. on the night and depending on what was going on. I learned the value of, you know, guerrilla style marketing. I learned the value of street, <laughs> of, of, you know, of street promotions. I also, yeah. you know, I'll tell you what, I also learned the value of never quitting. You know, one of the stories I don't share in the book, I can't tell you how many times I promoted an event where no one showed up. I mean, mm. it was my five friends, right? Mm -hmm. And what that taught me was to never give up and to keep going and keep going. And no matter how many embarrassing times of nobody showing up or people laughing at you, you don't know what you're doing. It was all worth it to when that one night that I had a line around the door and, you know, everything worked at the right moment. And I worked extra hard at, at, you know, handing, I remember I was that, that, you know, a couple of, a couple of days before that event, I was, I had the flu and some of my friends were laughing because I was literally like hoodie. It was raining outside and I'm passing out flyers with like day quill in between my hoodie, you know, sipping it as I'm, as I'm out there at, at you know, midnight passing out these flyers and resulted in, you know, an overpacked line around the, you know, door and, and led to a, you know, a big profitability that night, you know, it taught me that nobody can understand your vision and nobody can see what you see. And as long as you keep your eyes fixated on that and you keep working, even in the midst of failures, you will hit the mark, you know? And I think that was a big lesson I learned. Yeah, for sure. You know, you mentioned your, uh, your mom earlier, are both your parents still alive or just your mom? Um, I don't know my father. I would, I would assume so. Um, yeah. you know, I obviously uh, haven't spoken to him in, in, in a very long time, but my mother is uh, alive and healthy and, you know. What does she think, um, about your life now? Is she blown away? You know, is she on Instagram? Is she one of your fans? Does she, fo <laughs> does she follow you? Is she like, holy shit, what he's created? She is on Instagram. She, uh -huh. um, she's one of the like, you know, only following like five people, um, no post, <laughs> no, no profile pic, <laughs> right. you know, um, <laughs> right. they, those actually, those are our real accounts. They do the real they, people, they're real people, you know, you know, she would probably answer that best, but if I had to answer it for her, I think she would say she's, she's not that surprised because she always knew that I had this undeniable drive and passion. You know, I would be the kid who, you know, would self teach himself how to do something. And, you know, she'd watch me constantly fail and fall and hurt myself, but I didn't give up until I got it done. Mm -hmm. I think she also knew early on, you know, I share, a lot about this in, in my current state and at the end of the book, you know, this, this Renaissance man and what does that mean and what does that look like? And, you know, I've always really been kind of talented at everything. 
And I say that with a lot of humility. I'm not saying I'm the best at things, but I've always been able to pick things up very quickly. So I think she always kind of knew I would find my way. And I don't know if she knew exactly what it would be now, but she always knew that I would kind of go out there and make something of myself. And, and, you know, so she's never been really blown away. Yeah, you do have that gift. I mean, we were at a uh, we were at a party uh, around Christmas time before this whole COVID thing happened, and um, you know, you wanted to get the party going, so you put some music on and you DJed it, and you <laughs> had us like, I mean, I, that was like one of the best. I felt like I was at Studio Fifty Four, and you were doing it like <laughs> off of like Spotify or something. I was like, I was like, damn, I was like, is that a playlist? And you're like, no, 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 I'm just getting the songs out of my head. Yeah, I'm like whoa, like DJs would spend hours trying to put a set like that together. Like you're yeah. really, really good at that stuff. I appreciate that. That's yeah, you're welcome. Um, I want to move on uh, to Italy. There is a, uh, a love affair that you have with Italy. Mm. And I, I, I think I understand a lot of it because I've spent a lot of time there myself and I understand a little bit more about you and how you think. But I want to hear it from you. What is it particularly when you go to Italy that just makes you feel, and I'm going to, I'll put words in your mouth and you can correct me, uh, makes you feel alive. Alive is a good word. I think I also, um, weirdly feel at home and, and, you know, and depending on where I am, obviously there's a different emotion and feeling when I'm in Lake Como than when I'm in Milan or when I'm in Florence or Tuscany. I, you know, first it's this, you know, for anyone that's ever been there, they know this. And for those that don't, it's this overwhelming love. You know, I, I shared earlier with a friend, I was catching up about some Atlanta days and how, you know, everybody in the South is so open and friendly and it's so easy to network and start conversations because everyone's really friendly. And it's the same thing in Italy, but it's just almost heightened. And everyone there is so passionate and you know, for me being a lover of food and wine and culture, you know, you're, you're around this thriving culture and food and wine and everybody's like celebrating life and happy. And it's just very contagious. And, you know, I also love this kind of relaxed, but yet still passionate and busy kind of city that happens when I'm, you know, in, you know, even Milan where, and I also love, I think it's the the way that people still dress up and carry themselves and they care about the art of the gentleman or the art of the lady. And, and, and those things kind of still matter in, in Italy, especially in, in some of the major cities like Milan. And I'm also really infatuated with the architecture and, you know, that you, I mean, when's the last time you walked around a building in, you know, in LA that was around, you know, in the 13th century, I mean, it just doesn't happen. And, you know, Italy, especially, and of course, obviously other parts of, of Europe, they really care about history and they care about where they've come from and they care about, you know, keeping that history and those traditions alive. And that's something that's always been really important to me. And I think something we don't always necessarily do here in the U.S., you know. Yeah, there's something incredible about it. I just spent four months in Florence um, right before Christmas. Um, it was a bucket list thing before we moved from Atlanta to LA. And um, I got to tell you, man, it just got under my skin. Um, there's just something so magical about it that it, it, you're right. It's it's an assault on the senses in so many ways, whether it's food or wine or fashion. Mm. And a lot of them don't have a lot of money, you know, there's, but there's a, there's a, 
there's two words that I picked up there. One is mm -hmm. uh, dolce vita, which everybody knows. Mm -hmm. um, but the other one is uh, la dolce faniente, mm -hmm. which is the art of doing nothing. Right. And they do nothing beautifully. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's also I mean, the simplicity. I mean, you think about like, you know, you don't even have to be a religious person to walk into some of the old churches and cathedrals and just appreciate the artwork and to think that, look at the intricate detail put into this, into this cathedral that was done 600 years ago. You mm -hmm. know, we, we don't even put a tenth of that detail into something we create with all the technology that we have today. And I think that's what's missing to me that I love is just that rustic attention to detail, craftsmanship, and, you know, true artisans at work where we don't, you know, we don't really see that anymore. And I think I miss, I miss that, you know, and that's what I get when I go to Italy. Well, I tell you, one of the things I think about when I think of your products, and I'll take your, uh, your most recent one, uh, which is your, your, uh, your bag. It is a piece that I believe can, let's see, what's the right word here? It's form and function. You know, it's the Ferrari that's fast, but it's also beautiful. Right. So it's got, you know, it's not for me, no knock to, uh, to people that like Louis Vuitton, but to me, a Louis Vuitton bag or a Prada bag or, you know, something like that is, you know, it's just some material that's put together, but it's not, it's more branded mm -hmm. than it is crafted. Mm -hmm. And when I look at your thing, like it looks like, I mean, I could use it as a parachute jumping out of a plane if I wanted to, like it's <laughs> just done and I'd look great coming down. <laughs> yeah, you know? I want to head over to Atlanta. By, by, the, by the way, we don't, we don't advise that you jump out of a plane. No, no, okay. no. This is not to be done at home, yeah. only on the test track. Yeah. Um, let's head over to uh, Atlanta. You, uh, as you know, I lived in Buckhead for many years. We have a lot of uh, mutual friends. And yeah. you decided that you wanted to play in the real estate world. Earlier on, you talked about uh, in your career, which was at that time was booming. Uh, you started this with 3000 bucks in your pocket, but somehow you managed to turn that into a fortune. Um, and we'll talk about what happened to that fortune in a minute, but yeah. can we, can you maybe give us the highlights of, you know, sort of what your real estate playbook was then? And, 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 and maybe, you know, if you still think you can apply those same principles in today's market. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, I think, you, of course you can apply the same principles. I think history always repeats itself in most cases. You know, I remember, and I, and I think I share this in the book that, you know, I was just kind of fed up with, with, with the nightlife and the club scene. And I had, I had just, um, you know, had a friend of mine almost die in my arms. He was stabbed like seven or eight times in my club. And, and I was just like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And, at the time, I had one friend that I was in a, that was a friend of another friend in the music business that had just moved there and was dabbling in real estate and having some success. And you know, as you know, everything was on fire in in the real estate market at that time. And I had never owned a home. I mean, I didn't know really what you know anything about how, the power of credit. And I mean, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. And so I decided to you know take a crash course in real estate. Uh, at this agency exam thing, but but I didn't want to become an agent and I didn't take the test so that I wouldn't have to to become an agent. And I read like two or three books that I mentioned in my book 
about real estate flipping. I knew nothing. I literally knew nothing, but I just, it felt right. And, you know, my good friend and attorney, Kendall at the time, you know, was saying, I remember being in New York uh, in his office and he's like, you know, a little New York money goes a long way in Atlanta. And so I just decided to move. I just decided like, I didn't want this anymore. I had outgrown my, you know, I had outgrown where I was living. And like, if I was going to ever really go to the next level and really expand, I had to just move. We have to constantly be moving and expanding and growing. So I moved. And you share the story, you know, I, I saved up some money. I, I put $3,000 earnest money down. I didn't even know what earnest money was truthfully. I did, and then I didn't know that if I didn't close the the deal in you like it. in like 15 days, I lose it. And yeah. so now I'm in like a, you know, oh crap kind of panic. And again, not giving up and being persistent with, you know, doors slammed in my face. No, no, no. You don't have strong enough credit. You've never owned a home. You're not going to get approved. I found a hard money lender who loved the property, loved the deal. You know, I don't want to ruin the story in the book because it's, you know, I really share some details in there, but 45, 47 days later, I sold the property and made like 65 grand back then, which was a lot of money in one check for, for a guy like me. And the rest is history. I just kind of rolled that money into two properties, into four, into six, and just kept building it. It was an incredible time in my life. I learned so much about business. I really loved also in, in real estate, like this kind of cards faced up business where everyone kind of knows what's going on and there's no like secret hidden backdoor deals or side deals or, mm. um, you know, everything's really kind of face up uh, on documents. And, you know, it was really different from the music side. And, you know, it was just an incredible, incredible time. And I learned so much about myself and about business during those years. Well, like everything else, right? There's always an inflection point. There's a yin and a yang. So mm-hmm. things are things are going great. Real estate is flying. You're in South Beach. You're, you're at the uh, the Sagamore, Sagamore. The <laughs> penthouse, right? I know the Sagamore. Uh, you got yeah. the you, you got the crab cake uh, Benedicts for breakfast. You right? read the, the book, man. That's <laughs> I read the book, and then I boom, that. 2008, the financial crisis hits, and you get wiped out, like wiped out. Yeah. Can you take me back? to that time and maybe walk me through how you, how you approached rebuilding your second fortune. Mm. Because I think so many people today are finding themselves in that exact same situation. Yeah. I think, I mean, man, it's, um, you know, it was obviously really tough times. It was really scary because, you know, those markets didn't really, it wasn't like, you know, Oh, this is coming. Things are, you know, I think we look at like, an example of most situations are like a hurricane, right? You kind of know it's coming, prepare yourself. You've got five days. You know, this was like an earthquake. Like it just came out of nowhere. I mean, for most people, I'm sure a lot of the inside guys had some preparation to it, but for most of us, it really came out of nowhere. And in a matter of like days and weeks, everything just stopped. And so that abrupt stop was obviously a really difficult you know, was really difficult to manage. And it was just hell for months, you know, unloading properties at a loss instead of going to closing tables with a check. And, and I mean, you know, instead of going to closings, getting a check, we were going to closings, writing a check and mm-hmm. just trying to unload everything and, and weather the storm. And, you know, for me at that time, I really didn't diversify. I didn't, you know, have, you know, 
a, a bunch of different, you know, investment. I didn't have money in different places. I really was just doubling and tripling down into real estate. So when all this happened, I didn't have these backup plans. And, you know, we got hit hard, you know, and I didn't file bankruptcy. We, we got out of it and it sucked. It sucked. I remember there were no more Sagamores and trips to Miami and, you know, had to kind of pick myself back up and man, kind of reliving that. It's crazy. Well, you know, for all of us, you know, we, we all went through, I can, I can recall a similar situation where the tech bubble happens, you know, and I was buying Amazon stock Mm. and I was making 50,000 like in a week, Mm. you know, like just watching this thing, going to, going to Miami and partying. And then all of a sudden I wasn't having eggs. I wasn't, I wasn't having the crab cake Benedicts there either. And I wasn't diversifying. So, you know, how how are you approaching things differently now in terms of diversification? Do you have some, you know, sort of strategy where you know you learn the lesson and you look you you allocate things differently from an economic standpoint, or just talk to that a little bit? I mean, I've always been this extremely passionate kind of risk it all kind of guy, and I think that aspect will never change in me. Um, you know, I think there's that great saying, you know, nobody ever accomplished anything great in life without risk. Mm. And so, you know, I don't really dive into all the diversifications and things of that nature, but, but, you know, do I want to be all in on just one thing ever again like that? The answer would, would obviously be no, I don't, but you might, you, you might, you know, <laughs> you might. You know, you might. So it's, it's, it's one of those, you know, I think like right now I would say, I've learned from those things and I had diversified and, and I had owned so many different companies and, you know, from the wine business to tech to a, you know, I had a female clothing company that I had a, you know, 60% stake in. I invested in movies and like, I mean, I was all over the place and that didn't make me really happy either. In fact, it did the complete opposite because, you know, now it's like, I'm never going to go through real estate. I'm never going to do just one thing. Now I'm doing 25 things and I'm miserable and I'm, you know, you know, 30, 40 pounds heavier, you know, working from four in the morning to midnight every day. And that didn't really work. So, you know, it's almost like I've kind of come back to, you know, my focus right now is my business in the luxury space and the things that I'm passionate about and the things that make me happy, you know, so I, I, you know, I guess all I could say is, you know, try to save for a rainy day. And, and, but, you know, looking back, those were, those were just also very crazy times. I mean, that, you know, was a once in a lifetime type of financial crash, I hope. Um, yeah, you're, you're an all in passion guy. For sure. My mother yeah. says it all the time. She's like, you're, you're either off or a hundred percent. There's, there's no, there's just no in between for me. And I, and I, I don't think I'll ever change. I hope yeah, I because don't, I don't I, like, I don't think, I think like the, the worst travesty for you is like a shitty bottle of wine. Do you understand what this is doing to me right now? Yeah, but it's not even, it's not even that it's, you know, it, and I, and I think I, I mentioned this in the book. I watched a documentary once called the red obsession. And if you want to learn about wine, you like wine, you know, that's obviously a great documentary to learn things, but there's also a lot of valuable nuggets in there. And one of the, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, this journalist, he was being interviewed and he was talking about, they were showcasing how uh, in China, 
they literally built like a 30 story skyscraper in like 29 days, like from ground up, which is like unheard of. And the point that he was making was for so many generations, we have been poor. So of course we're going to risk it all and work and shoot for the stars and, and not even look back or have any fear because what's the worst that's going to happen. We go back to being poor. And I think for me, you know, I hear a lot of people, whether it's the rock and all these other inspiring gentlemen who, you know, I, I never, you know, I still think of my house getting repossessed or I th- still think of getting, you know, uh, kicked out or evicted. And those things kind of fuel you to, to really work so hard. And, you know, there's a part of me that obviously agrees with that. And I think the other part of me is why I'm not afraid to risk it. And I'm not afraid to go after the things that I believe in, because even if that does happen, it doesn't matter. Like I've, it's not the end of the world. You know, you're still living and it's okay to start from ground zero. It's okay to fall off the ladder and have to climb back up again. And I think so much, so many people in this world laugh and poke fun and make fun of someone who fell off the ladder. And it's like, well, at least they tried, at least they climbed it. And, you know, that's something I think is so important in life. And I think we're probably dealing with a lot of this right now with, with the, the coronavirus going around where, People have fallen off the ladder. They've lost their businesses. And guess what? It's okay. You got to quickly get over it. And what can you do now? And I think that's why I wrote the book. You know, that's why I decided to put the book out. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show. Because when I, when I saw that you did that for that reason, I felt like I wanted to do the same and mm-hmm. and share, give you give you a place that you can share that. Because a lot of people you know, are hurting right now. And, you know, your stories that you put in there, you didn't have to put in there. Like you didn't have mm-hmm. to talk about the shitty times in your life or mm-hmm. the things that you were going through, but you did. And I know why you did it. I didn't want you, to. You, I, of course you didn't. Right. Like who the hell wants to talk about shitty times in their life? Mm-hmm. But when somebody is going through a really bad time, it makes them feel like, well, if he can do it, then then I can I can, you know, pick myself up by my bootstraps mm-hmm. and do it. I want to ask you a question about um, religion, which I know we're never supposed to talk about, but you are a, a deeply religious guy. Can you tell us the story of what happened at 803? <laughs> you did read the book. That's kind of cool. You know, I first want to kind of start off by saying, you know, because, you know, first and foremost, I'm, I'm not really a religious man. I just mm-hmm. have a big belief in God and I believe in, in, in the Bible and I believe in Jesus. You know, and I think that doesn't mean that I don't like other people, other religions. And I think that's why I would say that I'm not a religious person because I don't, I don't believe in my way is the only way. And I don't believe that if you don't agree with me, then we can't be friends or we're not on the same page in life. So I think that's, you know, first and foremost. But, you know, I've been through a lot of trials and tribulations in my in my life and I've been through ups and downs and I've kind of always felt I had this big calling and I always knew that something, I was meant to do something. And, you know, you have these encounters throughout your life. I think we all have them, whether we want to share them publicly or not, I decided to finally share mine publicly. And in the book, and I don't want to tell the whole story because I want to, ha- you know, that's a great, that's a great part of the book. So I'm just going to shine a little bit of light on it, but it was Father's Day a few years ago. And, you know, I had the presence of God come into my home at, at 803 and, 
you know, a lot of people talk about being born again or being baptized. And, you know, this was a moment where, you know, God kind of put a new heart inside of me and just kind of changed my life forever that next day that I woke up. And, you know, I just became a different person and, and not really a different person. I'm still me, but, you know, it was um, a really just crazy experience and a miraculous one in my life. And I don't want to kind of dive into too much because it's such a great part. Yeah, of the no, world, we want to, we know? want to leave it there. We'll, yeah. we'll give them a little teaser so they can yeah. go back to it. But look, I think, you know, to, to wrap it up, you know, it's, it's, you got to believe in something and I'm yeah. not saying you got to believe in what I believe in, but you got to believe in something because here's what I can tell you. For people that say, you know, I, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in, in, in situations. We all get to a point where a loved one is in the hospital or you're in the hospital or someone's fighting for their life. And we all kind of, you know, pray out to someone. And, you know, and that is the start of, I think, belief. And you should always believe in something because I think it's the belief that allows you to keep going. Because if you didn't believe in something, I think, you know, Rob, my good, my good friend, my good brother and my business partner, Rob Deardick says it best. It's never over until you stop believing. And that could be, and, and, and obviously he's pertaining to business. You know, it's really never over in your business until you stop believing that allows you to give up. But I believe that in life, like the moment you stop believing in, you know, because when, when you've lost everything and we share about, you know, those moments of failures, why do you, you know, how do you get over those failures? Well, you, you have a belief that it's not going to stay this way. You have a belief and have faith that you can come out of this. You can make changes. You can grow from this. You know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. That is a belief. And I think that's the important kind of message I hope I'm trying to get across in that chapter, that you should always just have a belief and always keep going. And when you do that, you know, things will happen to you. Things will happen for you. And, you know, you will get out of those dark situations. Yeah, it's no doubt that you guys are friends. Um, you have a lot of the same, certainly drive and ethic, work ethic, but that's not really what it is. It's sort of this relentless belief mm-hmm. in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, both of you share that. So I, I suppose that the reason why there's so much magic between the two of you is that you know there's synergy there. I want to talk a little bit about, as we sort of move to um, slowly wrapping up, I want to talk... Uh, some questions. Some of these questions may feel like, Jesus, these are weird questions. So just just roll with it. Yeah, it's your show. Um, <clears throat> what do people often get wrong about you? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, two things come to mind. Uh, one, I think people think I, you know, come from money or that I've, I'm playing with daddy's money or that I'm, you know, uh, that would probably be the first one that I'm not, that I, that I come from wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I was kind of taught all of these, you know, the gentlemen and dressing well and acting polite and, you know, having manners. The second thing, I think people get this perception that I am, I think this perception probably comes from social media because I don't do a lot of talking and sharing things that I'm just this guy who's kind of maybe not humble and doesn't have humility and, and really, you know, I don't know if I want to even use the word narcissist, but you know, and that's really the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, I love, you know, 
you know, the simple, the simple things in life and I'm a prankster and a jokester and, you know, and, and you kind of see some of that in the stories and I'm trying to change a lot of that because so many people, including Rob, keep pushing me to just like, man, get out there and show the real you. So I think that's probably the two biggest things that people get wrong about me. Before you know it, we'll have, we'll have a uh, Chris King ridiculous show. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> what is the one rule that you have for yourself that you'll never break? Ooh, that's a good one. There's probably a couple, but if I had to pick one, never quit. Mm. I love that. That's definitely the theme of this podcast. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? At, can I go back in time? Mm -hmm. Yep. I would probably go back to like the, the Roman empire. You know, I'd probably mm. go back in time just in the medieval, you know, the 13th century, 16th century, you know, just to have an understanding of how things were done. And, 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 you know, I just, it's something that for me that I've always, I've really just, you know, been, been impressed with how things were done, how things were made, you know, maybe watching like a Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo work or being able to witness, you know, the creation of the last supper or, you know, watching them build, you know, the Coliseum or, you know, those things just really kind of, you know, it's crazy. You know, something made me think of, um, I recently read a book called uh, The Talent Code and um, they try and figure out where talent comes from. And mm -hmm. there's a chapter on Florence and they said the world's most treasured art came out of Florence over a 400 year period from mm -hmm. 1400 to 1800. And they were trying to figure out why. And what they came up with is that it was the only place that had artist guilds where somebody went in and had to apprentice under somebody else for like 30 years mm -hmm. before they got their wings. Mm -hmm. And so when I think of you, you know, talking about going back in that time, that's the first picture that I made of, you know, sort of the, the appreciation of the art. Let, let me tell you, if there was a past life, you were living it. There's no, <laughs> but, there's but, no but, question but, about but, that. I, you know, I don't know that book. And when we get off, please text me. I'd love to read yeah. that, that part. Yeah. But I think that's exactly what's missing in this world is that you became great over 30 years of working at something to be excellent at it. You know, I think, you know, I say all the time that, and a, a good friend of mine shared this with me, you became famous a while ago by being excellent at something like that was a result of being excellent at your craft, right? Uh, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, a Leonardo da Vinci, you know, uh, Picasso. And, and obviously those times are very different now. And that's where people don't realize, you know, Picasso, and, and there's a great show, I think on national geographic, it's like a segment of like 10 episodes and, um, uh, it's an unbelievable show. If you get a chance to watch it, I think you really love it. But it, you know, people perfected their craft and kept doing something for 20, 30 years to become a pro and be globally recognized. And people get discouraged after two, three months or one year and not, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I think that's something that I think a lot of people can learn from and, you know, if you're not, if you're not succeeding, you know, even though I talked earlier about the promotion, those clubs, man, I, I was promoting clubs for years before I had a packed out club. And I mean, you, most people will quit after two. Most people quit after 10. I probably did 110 before I got to the sold out, you know? Yeah, for sure. Have you seen the documentary Jiro Dreams of Sushi? 
Uh, I, it's on my wish list, but I know which one uh, you're talking about. Yeah, you got to go see it. It's okay. exactly, it's one guy making the same sushi for f- six days a week, maybe seven days a week for like 60 years. Yeah. And when they asked him about it, he said, I'm, I'm starting to understand it. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that, that's, you know, it, it, you know, Robin, that's the end of my book, right? It's, it's, it's creating the legacy. And I think, you know, the story that I share that I, that I hope is inspiring to people is that I chased all kinds of opportunity in businesses and was really never fulfilled or happy just trying to make money or trying to do this. And now what I'm doing right now, I know that I want to do for the ne- for the rest of my life. And, and I don't think I've done anything massively successful in my life. I don't think that I've done anything groundbreaking, which is why I've always shelved the book. I didn't feel like I've done anything really over the top. Um, although others would disagree. I think for me, I believe my legacy and my big reward comes the next 20, 30 years when I'm doing the one thing I'm doing now for that time frame. Yeah, sure. Everything everything prior to that has led you to this moment. Yeah. What was the name of the documentary that you just said a second ago? You know, um, Antonio, Antonio Banderas is in it. Um, it's uh, Genius Picasso. Mm, okay, yeah, I've seen it on Nat Geo. I haven't seen the documentary, but I saw it advertised. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you can go to one restaurant before you die, where <sighs> would your last meal be? I'd cook it myself. In my house. Oh, 200 episodes. I've asked the same question. It's the only time I got that answer. Wow. <laughs> that is interesting. Are there any positions or opinions in the last few years, or if you want, could be way back, it doesn't have to be in the last few years, that you've changed your mind substantially about where you shifted your position? Where you used to be like, you know, I used to think this way. I just don't think that way anymore. There's probably a few things, you know. Uh, parenting is probably one that I think you know you change over time and, and the way things are now than they used to be years ago and, or even when I was a kid growing up. I think that's one. I think that's a tough one too. I mean, well, kids will definitely do that to you. Yeah, I mean, I think look, you you, you kind of always have to change and evolve, and I think you know we're always changing, and I think we're even changing faster now for the better, hopefully. Um, with the speed of technology and the way things are going. So uh, I believe that we're always kind of evolving and changing. And, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it was, it was a Chris Rock that said it once where, you know, you, you're supposed to always change and you, you're supposed to change your opinions based on the information given and information is always changing, right? So if you don't, if you're making up your decision and before you even hear something out, you know, to me, that's really a closed mindset. And because things are always evolving and changing and we're gaining new information, I think that'll probably just be a part of your life forever. So, yeah, um, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense yeah. to me. All right, we're going to move into the last part of the show and it's a rapid fire round to answer uh, as quickly or as slowly as you would like. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind round. Okay. What would your friends say? Truffles. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, Is that I just too took, quick? <laughs> I just took a group of I, I you know, I wish you were there. I just we just took a group of twenty people to uh to Florence and we went truffle hunting with a dog uh, and it was freaking uh, in I can yeah. talk for an hour about yeah, that. Yeah, we, we both could. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Uh paying attention to details. What keeps you up at night? Nothing. I sleep really good. What's the one thing that you want to get better at? Man, there's like a lot. 
Yeah. Uh, but if I had to pick, yeah, uh, I'll pick three. Uh, I want to get better at um, English and grammar. You know, being a high school dropout, I want to improve that. I want to continually be a better father. And I want to be a better painter. Mm. I saw your work, man. Whew. That was one hell of a flamingo you got you there. You know what's crazy? I've never, first of all, I've never, I've painted, you know, maybe 50, 60 paintings in my life in the past five years. And I've never painted an animal or a person ever. And I'm looking at this canvas going, what, you know, I wanted to just paint something. I just had it in me. I needed to create a release. And for some strange reason, a pink flamingo came to my mind. And I even remember saying out loud, what the hell am I painting a pink flamingo for? And then I'm laughing like, oh my God, I'm going to just paint this in my garden. Like, how crazy is this? I'm going to paint a pink flamingo in my rose garden. And I had never painted. I, you know, I had kind of freehand sketched it out on um, pencil and then painted over it. And I mean, I, yeah, I've never, I've never painted an animal in my life. I would hang that thing right over my fireplace, right? <laughs> smack in the middle. Like it's beautiful. And by the way, your it. garden is, you know, I'm looking at my garden while I'm doing this. I, I got a two <laughs> by two back here. Okay. You got the fucking Borghese gardens. <laughs> I mean, like if you came out with like a purple robe, you know, mm. like Caesar walking mm. through there, I'd yeah, believe it. Yeah. I got a black one, but yeah, not a purple. I'm sure you do. What book other than the Bible have you reread the most? Ah, there's two that come to mind, but one that I've read continually and I actually probably have like five or six copies and I actually give it out and it's The Alchemist. Mm, Cohelo. Mm. Good stuff. What is your guilty pleasure? Pasta. <laughs> if you could give a TED talk on nothing that you're known about, nothing that you speak about and can really be on anything that you have a passion for, what would it be? Cooking. Ah, interesting. Okay, last question. Let's change things up a bit. Mm -hmm. What one question would you like to ask me? Wow, there's so many things, you know. I mean, we've gotten a chance to know each other over the over the years here. I have two questions for you. Yep. And you can't say me. It would be okay. what was your favorite, uh, who was your favorite person you interviewed, and what was the one sentence that they told you that changed your life. Mm. And then the second part to that question would be, why did you start the podcast? And what has it been, what has it been like for you? I think, you know, I'm going through a Rolodex and you have to bear with me, there's 200 interviews mm -hmm. and, you know, that's like literally 200 hours, but I got the point. What's the thing that stuck out? The thing that popped in my mind as the moment you said it, and I'm glad it did because it's our mutual friend, Chris Harder. Mm. And my, my brother, Chris. <laughs> he's amazing. And he said to me, we were talking about his morning routine. And he said, you know, you, you got to, like, I, I, I wanted to do a phone call with him or something. Mm. And he said, well, we got to do it after 12. <laughs> and, and I said, why? He said, because I don't, I don't do anything before 12. Yeah. I'm like, well, what time do you go to bed? And he goes, oh, nine o'clock. I said, well, what the fuck are you doing between like, you know, what time you wake up? He said, six. I said, what are you doing for six hours? He said, I'm getting my head ready. I'm like, you're getting your head ready for what? The apocalypse? Like what, what's going on in those six hours? He said, look, 
when you're on a call with me, do you feel like you got me 100%? I said, absolutely. He said, you feel like you got an A-plus Chris in front of you? I said, yeah. He said, well, then, then you need to let me do what I need to do so that I could show up for you and everybody else in the world as an A-plus Chris and not a C-minus. Mm-hmm. And that was really impactful to me because I'm the guy that will try and squeeze every second out of mm-hmm. every day to a fault yeah. and render myself ineffective because I'm pushing so hard as opposed to sharpening the saw by taking the downtime, the meditation, the journaling, yeah. the, the stretching, the exercise, true. You know, water, whatever I need to do to show up. It's so re- that would be the yeah, first one. It's really true. Do you also know, which is really cool, and I'm sure you do, what I also love about Chris is that he and Lori do a mandatory walk, like a three-mile walk every night together and don't talk about any business. Yeah, which I, I do was know really that. Inspiring. I do know that. And that is very difficult to do when you spend the day with each other and you have as many projects as they do. Mm. And, you know, like they're in separate rooms, right? She's doing a podcast. He's doing a podcast. She's working on this. And so, you know, you would figure that the time that they would have together, they would maximize the time. But Mm. putting the rules around it um, probably, uh, and I think he said this before, has saved his marriage. Um, And a big thank you to Chris because we wouldn't have become friends and we wouldn't be on this podcast if it wasn't uh, for him. So. Listen, there's so many things. I, I, like I wouldn't be in California if it wasn't for I can go on and on. The guy nah. is um, the kindest, most giving, yes. inspirational person I know. He's incredible. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of your question is, why do I do the podcast? I do the podcast. You know, I, I think there's a little bit of self-servingness here because I get to grab a guy like you mm-hmm. for an hour and have a conversation that is meaningful. So there's a little bit of selfishness there. And the other part of it is I'm 53 and I have come to a point in my life now where I'm looking for deeper meaning, deeper connection. Um, and I want to spread the message to everybody, whether you're 20, 30 or 40 listening to this, that it is not all work and that it is work and play. And particularly as Americans, we will... Um, we will work ourselves to death or until we have a heart attack and fill ourselves mm-hmm. up with McDonald's and wear horrible clothes and not care about things that we've been talking about like Italy and wine and fashion mm-hmm. and art and culture and meaning and cooking. Those things are largely overlooked and not considered by the masses. You know, you and I are mm-hmm. a sort of a microcosm of that you know, of the world in that area, but most people don't even think about it. They're just worried about the, you know, the, the first million, the second million, the third million, whatever. Um, and I want people to understand it's great. Like, it's great. Be an entrepreneur. I'm going to help you. We're going to talk about failure and we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and we're going to grow together, but let's also talk about life. And that's, that's why the podcast is really a funnel to bring people with me to you know, things like truffle hunting. For sure. It's a great answer. Well, listen, man, this was, um, this was every bit of what I hoped it would be. I could have gone on for three more hours. Thank you so much. Where, where is your world right now? Where does it live? Are you on Instagram? Do you have a website? What, where, where do you want to send people? Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously they can, they can follow me on Instagram. It's at Mr. King, M R K I N G. You know, I obviously, 
I don't have a company managing it. It's really me and it's person. you know, I I'm picking all the images and I don't have things planned out. It's really just me on there and a kind of glimpse into my life. You know, I have a few different websites and company sites and things like that. And, um, you know, everything kind of directs from Instagram. You know, you can also get the, the book, you know, my, my, uh, my book is in the uh, link in my bio on there. Um, and actually, this weekend I start to record the audio version. So that's going to, that's going to be fun. You know, I feel like I've read this book 9,000 times. <laughs> Last you thing have. I want to do is read it again, but, but I am, I'm going to read it out. I know audible is a really big thing right now. And especially people who are, you know, commuting or driving and, or just want to listen instead of read. So I'm doing that. Um, that'll be available as well soon. So it's crazy. It's even crazy to say I've got a book out. It's definitely surreal. Well, listen, if there's anybody who's got something to share, it's you. And I think you're going to help a lot of people at this time. And my hat's off to you. You birthed that baby. That was mm. not easy to do. I know how difficult it is to do that. So congrats on the book. Thank you. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to spread the word and we're going to link everything up in the show notes for everybody. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 